text for the sermon is taken from the gospel. I say unto you, be not anxious for your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor for your body what ye shall put on. Is not life more than the food, and the body than the raiment? Behold the birds of the heaven, that they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, and your heavenly Father feedeth them. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Uh, go on in, the, uh, in that uh, chapter 10, uh, in, you heard it this morning, Jesus then asked, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? Uh, so what's a sparrow worth? Uh, not much, we would say, except that at the end of that verse, our Lord says, And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your heavenly Father. This is an absolutely astonishing uh, um, unbelievable statement. Over the years I pointed out that liturgy uh, is the prayer of the church, the prayer of the bride of Christ. Uh, and she intends to, because of the prompting of the Holy Spirit, to effect uh, changes in the world through this prayer. It's what God wants us to do. The effectual prayer of the church is exactly that, a prayer that affects change. And just as our Lord, by becoming a real human being through the agency of the Blessed Virgin Mary, did not destroy the humanity he received in her womb, so the changes of the Bride of Christ, those that we wish and pray for, to affect in the world through the liturgy, uh, will not destroy that which has changed. Rather, it is our intention, it is God's intention, uh, to perfect nature, uh, there are three changes uh, that we pray for in the liturgy. First is the most obvious, uh, uh, well, there are a lot more than three, but I'm going to talk about three for just a minute. Uh, first is that the bread and wine will become the sacramental body and blood of our Lord. We feed upon the sacramental life of God, the sacramental life, the body and blood of, of our Lord Jesus Christ strengthens and refreshes our souls. And that points to the second change, which we intend by the liturgy, and that is that our interiority, our inner man, our interior life will be changed, uh, reorganized, transformed, and over time perfected through the prayer of the church. Having our, internal, our interior life transformed by the love of God shed abroad in our life, we may then work and pray for good, wholesome, godly change in the world. We certainly pray for the uplift of all of humanity, the uplift and in in God's flourishing uh, for all humankind. Now I want to attend uh, once again to the sort of changes uh, Holy Mother Church prays for in the life of her own children. And I want to ask this question because this is all what that whole gospel we heard today is about uh, is what uh, what is it exactly do we believe about the God that we worship uh, what do we believe about him uh, in fact uh, there are many false images of God in the life of Christians especially in stressful and troubling times false images of God offer a sort of satisfaction and a comfort. They're alluring. 
In the days of our Lord's flesh, the only signpost for nomadic tribes and, 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 uh, who were journeying from one destin to a destination to another, I mean, like our Lord's journey from Bethlehem or Nazareth uh, uh, to Jerusalem for a feast, uh, the, only, uh, uh, the only signpost they had uh, were the stars in heaven. That's what didn't change. Uh, the stars guided the pilgrims uh, who used uh, journeys in, uh, who journeyed in caravans. Now, these old desert navigators would plot their journey from oasis to oasis using their knowledge of the heavens uh, because that didn't change. Everything else did, or there was just nothing. To, there were no fixed landmarks. And it's like being in the middle of the desert is like being in the middle of the ocean. There's nothing else there. There's no way to get your your bearing except for uh, your knowledge of the, of the heavens. Now, the ever-changing landscape, the heat of the day, the cold of the night, uh, fear of dangerous animals and dangerous people, uh, the longing for an oasis uh, that would bring relief and some security uh, was the experience of every man. Frequently, desert pilgrims would observe what appeared to be a flickering light of a campfire off at a distance. And, of course, they were tempted to leave the chosen route of seasoned travelers and follow that light, the light that came to be known as uh, ignis fatuus, false light. Uh, it, it had to be resisted, and they learned over time that they had to resist it. What was required was training and formation uh, so that they knew how to travel, navigate the desert safely. And I want to suggest to you, uh, most of us, we don't just need training, we need, we need remediation because we've been trained so badly uh, over and uh, over again. And we need this remediation over and over again when it comes to knowing the kind of God that Jesus Christ revealed to us because we're living uh, as, as we do in this desert of a culture where everything it seems like that's it, worth remembering has been forgotten. Are y'all with me? Okay. Are not two sparrows so for farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, Ye are more valuable than many sparrows. It's an amazing statement. Hard to believe. Most people don't believe that about our Lord. Uh, uh, God attends to the death of a sparrow. Are you serious, Jesus? Seriously? That's what Jesus said. And know this, that when Jesus speaks of vesting the flowers in beauty, of feeding birds and attending to their dying, Jesus is not referring to God's omniscience, which is his knowledge of everything. Jesus is describing a God who is lavish in his love. He's speaking of God's love, God's paternity, and God's providence. I realize 
this just sounds schmaltzy, doesn't it? Seriously. Sounds like a Hallmark card. I mean, it, it sounds like zippity doodah, and I mean, you know, bluebirds on your shoulder and that sort of thing. But this is exactly what Jesus Christ said. His father is like. Now there's a, it is the true light from Christ who reveals the Father, not the ignis fatuous that dominates our culture. And, and it does. Any, the, the, the visions of God, for the most part of this culture, are just horrid. Throughout the century, the church puts, in order to, 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 to counteract that, because we're not the first rotten culture that's ever existed, which is kind of good news. You know, it's sort of comforting to know rotten cultures have really existed before, and some of them harsher. And I mean, we have penicillin today, and I mean, just as one uh, uh, small, not that small thing, but I mean, that's, that's pretty good. The church throughout uh, the centuries has, uh, and through her liturgy, liturgy uh, puts her children through a perpetual program of remedial spiritual formation so that we not only identify, remember, and know what the true light is, but we're enabled to actually take hold of it and follow it. And we have a tendency to keep falling back upon our own natural reason and upon what we want, upon our own wounded selves, trying to make up the God uh, that we want. And we call it reasonable or we call it whatever we call it. Uh, of course, it's only, it's only, it's only our vision. Uh, God is either, he, he's either Santa Claus uh, or he's harsh. Uh, he's not a God who... Uh, he's not a God who um, is slow to, it, he's not a God who doesn't take count of our failings. Uh, or uh, he's, like, he's like Santa Claus. Uh, it's a story I've told over and over again. I said this morning, I've told this story so long now, and I, I'm just being frankly honest with you, I've embellished it so, so many times over the years. The story is true, okay? I'm not sure about all of the historicity here. Uh, I'd have to really think about it, but what I'm saying, the story itself is, is, is absolutely true. Uh, I had a neighbor that part's true, uh, and verifiable historically. I had a neighbor who had a license plate that read KY2LIFE. Key to life. That was the license plate. And, and I, as I drove to the church one morning, I saw that. Uh, and I thought, that is, that's really clever, key to life. And I'm thinking, what does that guy think the key to life is? Uh, and then... Uh, one morning, uh, he had the hood up, uh, and he was working on it, trying to discover or figure out some mystery of the internal combustion engine. 
uh, and that cleverness suddenly became a pretty good joke, actually. Uh, and then when I got home that afternoon after church, uh, uh, way before that red evening sun set behind Apple Mountain, he had slammed the hood shut in apparently great frustration. At least I believe that was the case. And that's when I said to myself, self, uh, isn't that just like uh, my key to life? Our versions of reality, our versions of, of reality. Just when you need to get somewhere, it breaks down on you. And, and I, I, you know that's true. Uh, this is a, a, a cautionary tale. We do it all the time. We fashion a God that we think makes sense. We fashion a God out of our own woundedness. Uh, and, and, but he's never the God that Jesus revealed. Uh, the God that we create, as I've said before, I mean, I'm amazed at just how little control God actually has over his own emotions when I listen to people talk. I mean, he's just like on the edge of just blasting everything. Uh, and, and uh, or, or he's upset. I mean, just silly. The very thought. Uh, that, that God experiences anger in any way like we do, or that God is upset over something is just absurd. Uh, and frankly, very scary. It's also frequently uh, a God uh, that I hear about in counseling it is a God who, in fact, keeps count of all misdeeds. He keeps account of all misdeeds. When in fact, what does the psalmist say? That, that he doesn't remember all of our misdeeds. And he puts, a, a part, he puts us as far apart from our sin as the east is from the west. Uh, he, frequently the God today amongst Christians is intent upon exacting what we think is the punishment we really deserve and then when we're surprised and we're not punished, and it doesn't fall on us, we're baffled, and we wonder what's going on. Uh, or it's the other version of that, uh, like I said, Santa Claus, where nothing really matters anyway. Uh, our visions of God often resemble too much our own bruised egos, uh, and when we substitute our own ego vision of God for God's vision, for Jesus' vision, then it falls apart. Uh, it's like that SUV. The exterior looks pretty good. Get into the seat, look out the window, but you're not going any further than your driveway. John 17. I've mentioned that before. Uh, John 17. Our Lord places his own life of flesh before his heavenly Father. Uh, and in that chapter, uh, and, and right at the minute that his own disciple is deceiving him, and only hours from his agonizing death at the cross, he puts his life and his work before his Father. And he says, I have given to them, that is, his disciples, the words which thou gavest me, and they have received those words, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed 
that thou didst send me. And he goes on to say, to pray, that we may be one as he and his father, uh, as the father are one. And also, that the father loves us with the very same love that he loves his son with. That's a, read it. John 17, that the father loves us with the same love that he has had for his son for eternity. Jesus declares that his father delights investing flowers and beauty and feeding birds and attending their dying. Jesus declares that his father is a God of love and a God who is lavish. And you, you, my dear parishioner, you happen to be the particular object of his lavish love. And if not the only way, certainly the most unmistakable way that he expresses his love is in the Mass, and that love uh, is offered to you, and that love is his own life. So this morning, when you come to the altar and you hold out your empty hand, you will receive God's own life, absolutely the case, in your hand. And you will hold the life of the Lord of creation. You will hold the life of the King of love in the palm of your hand. I say unto you, be not anxious for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor for your body what you shall put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than raiment? Behold the birds of the heaven. They sow not, neither do they, do they reap, nor gather into barns, and your heavenly Father feedeth them. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.